There we go. Now I'm going to pray as the kids head out. I'm going to pray for them um, and for us as well. Father, what a joy and a privilege it is to be able to gather as church family from all ages and stages of life to hear from you as you speak to us through your word. Father, pray for the little ones in their respective groups that you'd be speaking to them, uh, that they would uh, really enjoy learning more about who you are and seeing you drawing near to them in the person of Jesus Christ. And help us now here in this hall as we gather to hear from you. Father, by your spirit, speak through your word. Help us to know what it means to ask, seek, and knock, and pray to you earnestly as we do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Let me read the passage, and then we'll we'll dive straight in. So Matthew 7, starting at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now we're sort of um, coming to, towards the end of the series of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been studying it for the last few months. Uh, and it's probably worth at this point just reminding us what's gone before. Not just because it's a good thing to review, um, but it's, it's actually going to really help us understand what Jesus is speaking of here in this passage. So try and think back to, for, a few months, uh, for a few months ago. Um, if you're new here, great. You're going to kind of have a fast forward through the Sermon on the Mount. But we started a few months ago, back in last term, at the end of last year. And remember, we had this idea of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven invading the kingdom of the world. We had this idea of revolution that was started by Jesus. A revolution that would transform the world. Not in the ways you might think of battles and wars, but by seeing people's hearts transformed by Jesus himself. Through his gospel, through Jesus and, and what he's done, we were to see people's hearts turn towards the one true God in worship and living for him. And that was meant to bring about a radically different world. That would mean that his people were salt and light. Ringing, ringing bells? You remember this stuff? And then we heard about these beatitudes, the blessings. Those are the values and the identity of who we are as God's people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It started there and it went went on. And then then in Matthew 5, verse 17, this is quite important because it links today. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And we had this idea of this acorn becoming an oak tree to see how Jesus was coming to help us realize, to see the full potential of the law and the prophets in this expansive nature of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus was bringing in. Did you notice in the reading today, Jesus mentions the law and the prophets again. Look at verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. You see, chapter 5 and 7, they're like this big teaching block in the middle where Jesus has gone into detail. He's been unpacking what the law and the prophets are about. And the main thing he was showing us was that it's not about outward change and behavior, but it's a transformation of our hearts. That's where the revolution starts, in the very depths of each of our hearts. And that is where he started going into detail about how kingdom people 
are able to control and fight anger and lust and speak truth and love their enemies. People of the kingdom would see those in need and would be generous, not judging, not greedy for worldly wealth, but prayerful, trusting. Jesus is turning our hearts to focus on God and his kingdom. Seek ye first his kingdom and righteousness. Let me, let me just pause. That's a very quick summary, but let me just ask you, as we've been studying this and going through this sermon, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not today, when you read this stuff that Jesus has been saying, do you agree that a, a world like that would be an amazing place? Where anger, jealousy, deceit, lust, they're all squeezed out. Where we see people who genuinely love one another, who look out for one another. Where you wouldn't see people in need and you wouldn't see people greedy. Isn't that a wonderful world to live in? That is the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And Jesus' call to each one of us sitting here is come and join that revolution. He calls us to seek God's kingdom above anything else. If we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're supposed to live as those who live in his kingdom. The question is, though, how do we feel about it? How do we feel about Jesus calling us to live that way? Is that easy? Let's be real. The bar is really high. It seems like a pretty impossible standard. For most of us, I reckon every week you've heard one of these sermons, you've been grappling with it. And I reckon one of, we'll respond in one of two ways. There'll be those who are the half full sorts of people, right? Who are you? Hands up in the air, half full sorts of people? Very, very few of you. Oh, wow, here we go. So you're the, you're the Winnie the Poohs. Um, it's the I can do it crowd. They're like, bring it on. Jesus says, control your anger. Yeah, I can control my anger. I can give to the needy. Let's go. There'll be the others. That's the rest of us who didn't put our hands up. who probably feel pretty overwhelmed. It's the I can't do it crowd. Where do I start? Jesus said, don't worry. But I'm worrying about how not to worry. I probably tend to sit in the, the first camp. Sometimes I, I move between the two, depending on what Jesus is asking me to do. But here's the thing. You need to notice something. Both of those camps actually have the same problem. Even if they, they look very different on the surface, they have the same problem at heart, which is self-reliance. Both groups are focused inward and saying, can I do it? Yes, I can, or no, I can't. And this is why Jesus ends this section of the Sermon on the Mount here. Because he wants to turn our naturally self-centered hearts away from ourselves and back to God. He wants us to see God so clearly, to see a big view of God so that we know that we can and we should always continually lean upon God and not ourselves. One commentator puts it this way. This commitment to the kingdom is dependent not on our success or failures, but on God's trustworthiness. See, Jesus wants to make sure that we know that this isn't, okay, I've preached to you now, off you go. No, he wants us to know that without him, we will either feel like utter failures or become self-righteous pomps. So as Jesus begins his revolution, he wants to make sure that we have a picture, not only of just an amazing kingdom, but an amazing God that our hearts are orientated towards. And he does that by showing us in this passage who God is. That God is a generous, loving Father who is with us, who is for us, who never leaves us 
or abandons us as we live out the kingdom on this earth. And that's something we need to be reminded of time and time again. And so that's why with a generous God in view, Jesus calls us to ask him, to seek him, to knock on his door. In other words, as I said at the start, he's saying pray to this loving father. Seek him out. Because that is exactly how we can live out this life in the kingdom. Let me ask you, do you find it easy to pray? Most of us might find it quite difficult to pray. Is that because we have too big a view of ourselves? That we're too proud and self-reliant? Or as Anaya said, maybe sometimes we, we wonder if God really will listen to my prayers. I'm not good enough for him. I'm not worthy. Why would he listen? Why would he care? And Jesus wants to correct both those views. He's saying, no, no. Our Father is so, so generous. So you have to keep coming to him in prayer. Whichever way you fall, whether you are proud and self-righteous or you feel completely crushed and deflated, Jesus says, come to the Father. And my prayer is that as we see this, that what Jesus says will fuel us all the more to be on our knees, praying continually to the Father. So I'm just going to briefly draw out a few things from this passage this afternoon, just three things that I hope will help us to have a big view of God. Here's the first thing. We pray to the generous God who is always ready to listen. He's always ready to listen. I remember back in the day when I used to live with my, my folks, um, their fridge broke down. It was a Samsung fridge. They never break, but they did. So we called the helpline. It was on a Saturday. We called the helpline, and what did we find out? They were closed for the weekend. There was nothing we could do. We, we just learned that there are very few companies who run a helpline 24-7, 365 days a year, or 52 weeks a year. That actually makes more sense. Anyway, so what did we do? We had to eat everything in the fridge. If you know me at all, I love food. That day, I hated it. Man, seriously, you have to eat literally everything. And some of those things don't go together. Like kimchi and, and like, like drinking milk with kimchi doesn't work. But I had to do it. We had to do it. But here's the thing. God's door is never signposted closed. God's phone line is never a too busy, come back later. Do you see verses 7 and 8? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus commands us, look, go. Go and ask. Go and seek. Go and knock on his door. It's like a little child looking for help. They keep shouting, mommy, mommy. Help me. There's no answer, so what do they do? They go and they start looking for them. They're determined. I need to find my mom. And what do they do? Then they find their mom hiding in the bathroom for some respite. And they go and knock on the door. Genuinely, at times, I'm like that. Please don't find me. Please don't find me. I'm in the bathtub. They always find me. But that is what God is saying. Be like that. Persistent. Because God is always ready to listen. You don't need to be polite. British people are polite. You, you wait in queue and line. British people are specialists at that. You don't need to do that. You go and you knock. God, God, God. Like that persistent widow that Jesus speaks of in another parable. You go and you seek earnestly. It's not just a God, God can I ask you if I can? It's God, will you? Please, will you? Please, please, will you? And he wants us to do that with confidence. 
Look again at verse 7. Ask and it, what does it say? It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It's not a might. It's not a maybe. It's assured. God is ready to listen and to act. He loves listening to our prayers. That is a generous God that we have. He's never too busy for us. You'll never see him hiding in a bathroom. He never says, sorry, my diary is full. Come back in two months' time. No, you knock and he's always there. And do you see the scope of his generosity? Look at verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives. Any person who genuinely seeks the Lord, people who trust in Jesus as a Lord, whenever they honestly and earnestly with their hearts come to seek this God, he is ready to answer. It doesn't depend on where you've come from, what life you've led up to this point. Whether you've grown up in a Christian home and you've always gone to church, hallelujah, praise God for that, what a blessing. Or whether you became a follower of Jesus last week, yesterday, after a life of complete rebellion against him. Praise God that you're here. It doesn't matter how far you feel like you've failed. When you come to God on your knees, earnestly seeking him, asking him, knocking, he's ready to listen. That is the God we have. How can we be sure of this? Well, because of Jesus. Not only does Jesus just preach this here and promise this here, but then Jesus goes on to walk day by day towards the cross where he will take our sinful, proud hearts and nail them to the cross, where he will wipe away our sins through his mercy, where he will clothe us in his righteousness, give us new hearts that desire him and his kingdom so that we can be called children of God who now have permanent access to the throne room of God himself. It's all because of Jesus. If you're not a Christian here this afternoon, you're so welcome, but have you considered this? That this generous God who upholds the entire universe in his hands, who keeps the stars and the planets spinning in perfect balance, who feeds the sparrows and dresses the fields every day as we saw a few weeks ago, this Father is the God of the universe who is actually allowing you right now to take every breath that you're breathing. That God of the universe came to die for you so that you could seek him and seek to live in his kingdom, that you could be part of his transformation from the disarray and dissonance that we see around us in this world. And it's this God who is so infinite and so powerful and mighty who says, I am never too busy for you, whose phone is never on, do not disturb. When you message, a double blue tick comes and it responds straight away. Do you know what I mean? But WhatsApp uses? See, is our view of God too small? Thinking, I can, I, I can actually manage this better than he can. Or I can manage without him. See, I do that in my arrogance. I'm often like this. I use Jesus more as like a sound, sounding board for advice. Oh, he's telling me I need to control my anger? Okay, so I just need to try and do that much harder. But I, I find it never lasts. Did I get angry this week because of my selfishness? Yes. You bet. Don't go ask my family because they will tell you exactly when and where. But you will realize you will always fall short. You either push harder trying to justify yourself in your failings or you will feel crushed. And Jesus knows, he knows our hearts better than we do. He knows our shortcomings and he's saying, look, hey, hey, stop. Ask, seek, knock because you've got a generous father who's ready to hear you. Seek him to help us live this way of the kingdom. And it's not just about his availability, but he's so generous, generous with what he gives. 
That's the second thing. Pray to the generous God who gives good gifts. So Jesus gives an illustration here, right? Verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if you ask for fish, will give him a snake? See, loving parents want to give the best for their kids. Parents fight so hard to give them greens and healthy proteins and stop them eating just a million different variations of sugar. Chocolate, Haribo, Coca-Cola, you name it. Now imagine a kid comes to the parents and asks, Mommy, I would like broccoli and beans today. Parents would be like, oh, wow, let's go. Amazing. It's like that here. Do you see how the kids are asking for wholesome good things? They're asking for bread and fish. See, why would a loving, caring parent ever consider giving them anything else? A stone or a snake? It makes no sense. So Jesus says in verse 11, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give, give good gifts to those who ask him? Now that word evil is probably grating you a little bit. I don't think we need to overthink this. Jesus is saying, look, even the best parents are sinners. Whether you're a Christian or not, we by definition all fall short of God's perfection. And so what Jesus is saying, look, compared to God who is perfect, we are sinful. We are evil. But if even imperfect, evil parents give good gifts to their kids, well, what about God? God who is good, who is perfect, who is generous, who not only listens, but who gives good gifts. So the question then is, okay, what are these good gifts? See, what, what, what jumps to your mind when you hear that? Okay, when we read this, our minds will naturally jump to things that, things that we think are good, things that will please us, things that I like. They often tend to be material and physical things. But we need to listen to God here. What does God say and how does he define what good is? See, good in Matthew, the way he uses it is always about the kingdom of God. It's not good based on our terms and our parameters, but on what God says. See, what Jesus wants us to do is realign with what God defines as being good. In other words, it's everything that Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. As he's unpacked the law and the prophets from chapter 5 to chapter 7 today, the good gifts Jesus refers to are those things that enable us to live out God's kingdom, to live out kingdom living in this world. The wholesome things we can request from the Father that align us with God's will. Let me give you some examples, okay? Is it good that our anger and our lust are controlled? That we don't abuse people with our words or with our thoughts and our temptations? What would you say? Would you agree? Yeah. Jesus spoke about those in Matthew 5. Do we find it easy to fulfill what Jesus says? Probably not. I don't think so. So that's why Jesus says, ask, seek, knock for these good gifts of our, that control our hearts, our anger, that bring us to quickly reconcile and forgive. Ask, seek, knock for that gift from God that helps us to fight that temptation of lust. A couple of weeks ago, Jesus, we saw Jesus commanding us, do not worry. And we know that it's not an easy thing to do. But when we ask, seek, knock, that we would seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, we are reminded again of God, his generosity, his goodness, that he does provide all that we need, not all that we want, but all that we need to live out his kingdom, including material and physical things. And that sort of helps us then to not be enslaved to mammon, the God of money that we saw in Matthew chapter 6. Some of us will find that challenging in the Western world that we live in. 
And we can battle with that desire for treasures of this world more than of the kingdom. And so Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Lord, help me to see the good gifts of treasure in heaven. Let me tighten my grip on your good gift of eternal treasure so that I hold more loosely to worldly treasure. And then boom, as you see more of his kingdom and align more to his will, suddenly you see those people in need around you all the more. And you see how you can use what God has given you to help others. That's Matthew 6 again. See, do you see how asking, seeking, and knocking, praying in this way, we are crying out to God to take these kingdom values and the commands that he's given to us to embed them into our hearts and our lives. And not only embed them, but then enable us to live them out. We're praying God would provide all that we need spiritually and practically to live out his kingdom, from the big things to the smallest details. And as we do that, we, we find ourselves being aligned more and more to God's will so that we might start living in the beauty and wonder of this revolutionary kingdom living that Jesus has been telling us about that leads to generosity, to unity, to peace, to blessedness. Now I need to sidestep at this point because I I get there will be big lingering questions in our minds. Probably the biggest thing that you're, you're wrestling with is, look, if God is generous, I get that, fine. If God is generous, why doesn't he seem to answer some of my prayers? I'm seeking and asking and knocking and nothing seems to be happening. Is God actually generous? Is he actually listening? Does prayer actually work? I need to spend a few minutes addressing this because it's a big thing. Lots can be said. You probably need a whole sermon series on this. I can't say it all, but I'm going to give you a couple of things to think through. The first is this. As we ask, seek, and knock, we need to check our hearts. Are we asking and seeking God's kingdom first, or are we asking and seeking my kingdom first? You need to check your heart on that. In other words, are we asking for the wrong things with the wrong motives? The example that Jesus gave of those children asking their parents for for bread and fish it was about wholesome and good things. See, for the well-being of a child, a parent wouldn't always give them what they want because they know it's not good for them. If a child asked for Coca-Cola every morning, lunch, and evening, a loving parent probably wouldn't give it to them. See, sometimes we ask things of God that actually we want for our own little kingdoms because we assume that we know best and we think this is good for me. But remember how we were defining good. Good, is it according to God's kingdom or to ours? See, if it's about our kingdom, then in essence what you're doing is saying, hey God, look, here's my kingdom. This is how I want to live. You've got to help me grow my glory, my reputation, my power, my comfort. Self-centered, self-seeking, self-serving. This is why something like the prosperity gospel is so dangerous. Because you're praying to God to give you whatever you want, whatever you think you need. That seems like a good gift in your eyes, but the focus is actually all on yourself and your kingdom. It takes the generosity of God and exploits it for our selfish gain. And Jesus wants to flip that around. That's the revolution he's starting. God gives us good gifts to live out the kingdom in seeking God's glory and being a blessing to others. And it's in that sort of kingdom, that sort of life, that we find blessing and joy. So we need to check our hearts. Look, we we can and we should pray for all sorts of things. 
We should ask, seek, knock for all sorts of things. And sometimes those things are fairly neutral. God won't mind really what job you sort of have or where you live. He may answer with a yes or a no, or he might give you the right wisdom to discern what a good decision is. But as you ask, seek, and knock about those sorts of things, it's worth checking what is going on in my heart. What, what is your desire for having that new job or for buying that house or having that relationship? Is it about my kingdom or is it really about God's? So that's the first thing I just want to make sure that we're getting right as we think about this. But the follow-up question then is, but yes, but what if I am genuinely seeking those things that are good as according to God? What if I'm asking and seeking and knocking that God would help with a battle with sin and temptation that I'm having? And it feels like I've made no progress. Or you're asking God to take away an illness or suffering that you are enduring or someone close to you is enduring. Your heart is in turmoil and you're saying, God, why, why can't you fix this? Or you're asking that a loved one that you know might come to follow Jesus like you do. Surely that is a good thing. These are super hard questions. And I'm going to say, I'm going to hold, hold up my hands. I'm not God and I can't give you a definitive answer to say why he says yes and no to certain things. But I can share a truth we've seen implied here and elsewhere in the Bible. And it's, it's simply this. That God is generous and he knows best. So imagine a parent who just says yes to everything. Broccoli every day? Yes. Coca-Cola with my cereal every day? Yes. See, that is not generous. That's a lazy pushover. But God is generous because he gives what is good for us. He knows each of us and our situations better than we could ever know. He desires the best for his people. The thing is, that may not always be what we desire or we hope for. But listen to God say this in Isaiah 55. My ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's the best example of this that I can think of. And it's with God's very own son, with Jesus, at Gethsemane. So here is God's son facing imminent death at the cross. He's in utter agony. He's sweating drops of blood in anguish. He knows what he's about to endure at the cross. It's not just the physical pain, but the spiritual pain of as he endures God's wrath and judgment for the sins of the world. Sins that lead to a world that is living completely differently to the kingdom that we've been seeing. That of selfishness, of greed, of lust, of anger, of judging. All that is about to be poured on Jesus. And as Jesus prays in Gethsemane, he prays, Father, may this cup pass from me. He doesn't want to do it. But he then goes on to pray, let not my will but yours be done. See, the father, the, father th- the thing is he doesn't answer Jesus' prayer in the way he might have liked. See, God doesn't promise that our lives will always be easier or more comfortable on this earth. That is the cultural narrative that we live in around us. Don't get sunk into that. The world around us says, look, it's all about minimizing discomfort and pain and maximizing your pleasure. Jesus didn't see that. Jesus' prayer is real. But as God the Father answers the Son and his prayer with a no, as he does that, something becomes very clear about God's will. God's seeking his glory, and his glory is shown through what? His desire for us. 
God's desire that his rebellious people would be forgiven and redeemed. God's desire that, that we would be called his children again. That becomes clear about God's will. And he made sure, so much so that the Son of God was crucified on a Roman cross. That is how generous God is. That is how much he cares. That it shows God's desire. He wants us to know how much he loves us as our Father. Do you notice in verse 11, Jesus doesn't say, look, look at verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your? He doesn't say, will the God in heaven give good gifts. He says, what? Your Father. It's because Jesus took our place that we now take the place of the Son of God as a child of God. That's why we can have access to the Father permanently. See, that's God's desire. He wants his fatherly, restored relationship with us to be at the heart of everything that we do as Christians. It's not about, primarily about what he does or doesn't give to us. He wants us. So how does this help us in our day-to-day as we grapple with those prayers? It helps us to see that at times out of love, God may well say no. He may well say to you, you need to wait. And it may not always be clear to us exactly why, but we have got to remember this, that God is generous and good. He's shown us that time and time again. He cares that we know he is with us more than giving us the things that we might want and desire. I love how Anahi started with Jeremiah, because Lamentations come to mind, which is around the same time. This is a dark time in the history of God's people. They're facing exile, destruction of the city, destruction of the temple, the house of worship of God. This is how they thought. This is how we relate to God. That's about to be destroyed. Jeremiah is asking, seeking, and knocking to God. And this this is what he says. God, you came near when I called on you, and you said, do not fear. Do you see how God doesn't say, okay, here's your prayer. Let me give you the answer. He answers with, do not fear. Because he wants us to know, in the darkness, in the mess, God is with us. That is why the Bible is so rich with prayers of lament. Prayers that teach us to wait on the Lord. Psalms is plastered with them. Olivia prayed it. How long, O Lord? In despair, we can seek, ask, and knock with language that God himself has given us. To say, look, pray these prayers. And as you pray them, know that I am with you, that I am listening. I've seen so many people grapple in suffering. I'm sure you have too. I watched some in this room today. Some of you with physical and mental illnesses, temptations and sins that you've been struggling with for ages. I've spoken to many of you who are pained as you pray for loved ones, asking God, would they come to faith? I've had close friends battle with cancer, infertility, loneliness, grief. We together, we asked, we sought, and we knocked. Sometimes God answered in the way we hoped. Sometimes he didn't. And sometimes it was really hard. Some days I watched them groaning in tears. But as we kept asking and seeking and knocking, I often saw in them growing, a growing deepening and understanding of their communion with God, with the Father. A clearer view of God's overarching love for them because they knew God was with them even in those storms. And the impact they had on me and those around us was profound. Pointing to what kingdom living looks like in the brokenness of this world. 
pointing us to the promises of God, his trustworthiness, his, his faithfulness, of God's kingdom, not only that we see on this earth, but that we are going to see in eternity to come. That whatever your current prayer is right now, whatever you're asking, seeking, and knocking, Jesus says, keep going. Cry out to our Father in heaven. Keep asking, seeking, and knocking. As you do, we pray that he would answer those prayers. Be persistent and bold in that. But if it's a no or if it's a wait, we need to keep remembering that he has the best interests for us as a loving father. He has shown us that in Jesus. And my prayer is that as, you spend more time on, as we spend more time on our knees, asking, seeking, knocking, that we would grow deeper in our communion with our father, with our loving father. Not only to love him more, but to know his will and his promises all the more clearly. Like, get it, this stuff's really hard. And, and I'd love to chat and pray with you more um, afterwards, so please do come and find me. And, and that's why it's so important that we want to be loving and serving one another as well. This is not just an individual thing, but we're a church, we're a family who does this together. And that is actually what the kingdom living looks like. And this is the final thing. I'm going to say this really briefly because it's just, just in the interest of time. The third thing is this. Pray to the generous God so we love and serve others like Jesus. It's a really simple thing. Now look at verse 12, right? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Many of you might have heard of this before as the golden rule. Lots of other religions have very similar phrases. People who wouldn't call themselves Christians or religious would often quote them. Quote, quote this, saying this is the golden rule. Because I think people understand that this is a very good way to live. But do we, do we live like that in this world? Clearly not, because I don't think we treat people that way. Do I live like that? Do you live like that? We try, but often we fail. And that is why Jesus is saying this in the context of our seek, knock. As you ask, seek, knock to the generous God to help us live this way of the kingdom, we will understand what it means to live generously, to know the generosity and love of our Father, of God, embodied by Jesus himself, so we live that out too. A practical and very visible outworking of kingdom living is that we would love others like ourselves. And the key difference is we don't fulfill this golden rule in our own strength like many other religions and non-religious people would say. But this is tied to everything that Jesus has been saying and teaching us. We do it first by looking and praying to our Father, asking, seeking, knocking, so that our lives will reflect the lives of the kingdom of Jesus. For those in the kingdom who receive the love of Christ and know of Jesus' love, know what it means to share that with one another. It starts with Jesus. It starts with him. That's why we ask, seek, knock. And then we live up by loving those around us. Now try and picture that as a church. If we started doing that as a church, not just as individuals, but as a church, if we started praying in this sort of way that Jesus teaches us, as we grow in our prayer lives, asking for good gifts that would help us together live as kingdom people, living out this life of the Sermon on the Mount, that is a tangible way for us to be salt and light that Jesus started the sermon with. And can you just imagine the impact we might have on the world around us? On this city, if we prayed more and more like that as a church family, asking, seeking, knocking, could we transform parts of this city? 
pray, ask, seek, knock individually in your, in your own lives at home. But let's do that together as a church. Let's do that as we gather on Wednesday for, for Globe Central. Let's ask, seek, knock so that we all the more can live for the kingdom. And that would have a huge impact, I think, on this city. Here's a simple thing that we need to think about as we leave. A simple application, implication from this passage is simply, let's pray. Let's pray all the more. Let's ask, seek, knock. See, as I was reflecting on this this week, I started thinking, why do we not see more of this kingdom sort of living here on this earth, more visibly around us today? Why do we find it so hard to live the life that Jesus calls us to? Why do we find it so hard to love our neighbors like ourselves? Why do we sometimes find our hearts are joyless or we lack confidence? And I wonder if it's because we're not doing this, asking, seeking, knocking on our knees. I could definitely be doing more of that and could be all. I pray that we would listen to Jesus as he preaches this to us and that that would fuel us to spend more time on our knees praying to our Father. Not to gain favor with him and impress him, but because we have access to a generous Father who wants to listen, to give us good gifts so that we can live in this radical way that Jesus calls us to. And by that, man, can we pray that a city would be transformed. That's a big prayer. But we can pray that to a generous God, right? Let me pray for us now as we close. Father, you you call us to ask, seek, and knock because you are a generous father who loves to listen to his children, who wants to give good gifts to his children. Father, we acknowledge that at times that's hard to understand because our desires sometimes aren't right or because you know what's best and you know it's not right for us in, in this time. Father, these are really hard things to grapple with. But help us to listen to Jesus here and to have this big view of who God is. Help us to be confident and assured that we can pray to a God who is generous and good. Father, fuel us in our prayer lives this week and in the years to come, individually and as a church. And as we ask, seek, knock, Father, we ask that you would answer prayers, that we would see your kingdom come all the more, your will be done, and that you'd see transformation in our lives and in the life and the city around us. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.